בשם השם נעשה ונצליח. Okay, gentlemen, uh, thank you for everybody coming. Tonight we wanted to dedicate for the crown, the fallen crown of the nation of Israel, Avraham Kanyanevsky. I had the tremendous, tremendous, more than all the money and all the treasures of the world, it's, it was such an honor to be able to see him seven times. And the last time I was able to see him was actually 10 days, 10, 11 days before he passed, which was, um, I guess that's a zechus, because I also saw Rav Ovadia less than a month before he passed. So I guess timing is everything. And uh, what compelled me to want to get you guys together here tonight is that I'm definitely not qualified to, I'm like an ant compared to the sun, of his greatness of uh, Rav Chaim, but since I was with him, one time I was in his room 15 minutes, the first time 10 years ago, and it was the highlight of my going to Israel, So, and I sent a lot of people to him, so there's a lot of stories we have, and the Gemara really says that it's a serious matter, when a rabbi, when a great leader of a generation, Rav Chaim is different than a regular rabbi, he's called a Rashke Bahag, Rabban Shokol Yisrael, whether you were Hasidic or Sephardic, he was such a universal leader that he was the Rabban Shal Kol Bnei like Rav Moshe Feinstein, like Rav Avadia, like Rav Chaim Oizer. He was a type of person that any religious Jew or any Jew that knew what Judaism about would respect his opinion and be hard to try to, you know, go against it. It's like, a, you know, a first-year college major trying to argue on Einstein. That that was his greatness. That was his league. And the Gemara says in Shabbat 105, the Bavli, if we're lazy and lax, and we don't realize the treasure that we've lost, and we, we just, you know, we brush it aside, we don't properly eulogize a great Chacham, in it, it, it's that, per, that generation that doesn't realize the terrible treasure that's lost, they deserve to be um, buried, chas v'shalom, during their life. And they're not going to have a long life. Because we learned this from Yahushua, the successor of Moshe Rabbeinu, the successor of Moshe Rabbeinu, unfortunately, uh, Joshua was not, they didn't appreciate him. When he passed away, they didn't make a, such a big deal, like Moshe passed away. And from there the Gemara learns that it's a terrible mistake. Hashem despises that such a leader, a father, he's like a spiritual father to us. He passes away, that's why we're coming here today to really as much as our little bit, little, little bit to, you know, do our part in memorizing such a great man. The first encounter we had with Rav Chaim, my family was my father actually. Around 16, 17 years ago, I have a very good friend. I guess what they say in Hollywood, Hollywood is, is true. It doesn't matter uh, what you know to a certain extent, but who you know. We had a good friend, Rabbi Derry. He took my fa- My father had one of the most important decisions in his life that would affect our entire family. And my father went to Rav Chaim. We have the picture. And Rav Chaim was um, definitely so caring 
And so, um, he was very clear. See, Rav Chaim was for our generation, like the Urim Vetumim. We just read in the Torah a few weeks ago, the Kohen Gadol had a breastplate. That kind of like a computer, like a neon thing, had had all the alphabet letters. And if the Jews had a question where they should go to war, not to go to war, the Kohen Gadol and the Prophet and the King would get together, they would ask the Urim Vetumim, it was like a direct telephone line to God, and then it would light up. Like, um, for example, let's change the tables. Putin is a Russia, because he's from Russia, but if like he was a Jew and he wanted to know to invade Ukraine, is he going to be successful or not? Because it was a, right, let's say he was a Jewish king, then he would ask the Urim Vetumim and it would give him a clear answer. And it never came back wrong, because it was God. It was a direct line to God. Rav Chaim was that to our generation, um, his clarity, the type of questions he would get, life and death questions, as Elijah knows, where people would would need to get uh, surgery, you know, and he was such a amazing figure. The seven times that I was with him, honestly, it's hard to say this, but I'm in good company. I'm going to tell you a lot of stories about Rav Chaim from my yeshiva and me personally and my congregants and friends that went over there. When I, when I was in his presence, I don't know. I, it wasn't so much that I, he was definitely very revered, but he, my son actually just asked me. He was very, I looked at him like a grandfather figure and it was, he had a certain serenity to him that you know that God's presence was in that room. God's presence. Every day for the last 20, 30 years at least, hundreds of people would come to seek his counsel, get a blessing. And I would say that at least tens of thousands of people saw open miracles. That's why it says, Chavra de Chavra, Chavra Chesaleh. When one pe- person sees a miracle, then, you know, you're going to have hundreds of people lining up in... Uh, it was a very special feeling. I don't think I've had that feeling when I was in his room anywhere else. Maybe the Kotel was a similar feeling. But when you were in his presence, you knew that he was... You know, we give the Mesilat Yesharim class. The people there that we give the class are not here. Well, Elliot sometimes comes. He's he's mostly in Hopkins. But definitely Rav Chaim was a living Torah and Mesilat Yesharim. There was no question in anybody's mind that he had Ruach HaKodesh. He had that divine spark. We don't have prophecy nowadays, but the next, the highest echelon is the divine. He would see things in your soul that you didn't know. And... You know, the biggest lesson for us practically is Rav Chaim was the type of person that he was very short and sweet. The seven times that I met him and the countless videos about him, even when you would come for, to him for a bracha, what, do we, what would he say famously? Bua. Bua means bracha, v'atzlacha. Rav Chaim was the living symbol of somebody that for the 94 years that he lived, like Rabbi Yaakov Hillel, I just saw his eulogy, the great Kabbalist and Gaon. He says he was somebody that we could say for the last 80 years of his life did not waste a second. It literally... And it's a big lesson for us. So many times, like Rabbi Victor Miller says, it makes me cry. People don't work on Sundays. The whole Sunday they waste. The whole Sunday you could be in Kolel and learn eight hours, you know? Rav Chaim was the type of person that, you know... Time was more than money. 
time was life, and he was instructed by his great father. By the way, Rav Chaim was royalty, rabbinic royalty. He had so much great lineage around him. His father was a similarly great person, Rav Yaakov Yisrael Kanievsky. His uncle was the great Chazonish, the architect of the entire Torah world. I guess like we say in Farsi, He definitely got his uncle's genes. And um, his wife was the daughter of the Posek. After Rav Moshe Feinstein and Rav Shlomo Zaman passed away, the Posek of all the Ashkenazi world for that 20-year period was Rav Eliashev. That was his father-in-law that loved him extremely. And his um, he was he was just... He... Um, and I wanted to say something here because I just... Literally 10 minutes ago before I came to, to this place, I wanted to say that his father has a very interesting book. Rav Chaim Kanyanevsky's father, the stipler. And he, in there, he says, what's the secret to have great children? Obviously, he did a very good job. <laughs> because this guy was the rabbi of the rabbis. They called him Sar HaTayra, the prince of Taira. He was the authority on Taira. And he said, it's very important to learn ethics with your children every day, Musar. So because of this, I told my son tonight, just 10 minutes ago, I said, he's named after Rav Chaim Kanyanevsky, as I'll tell you in a story in a second. He's named after my Rosh Hashiva, Rav Yaakov Ruderman, and Weinberg, and Rav Kalevsky, and Rav Chaim, he's named after Rav Chaim. I said, we have to start learning every day together. We learn Mishnah, Baruch Hashem, we just finished, we're almost finished the whole uh, Seder Moed. But I said, you know, if, if Rav Chaim Kanyanevsky's father said that it's so important to learn ethics, to have fear of God, because a lot of times you could have a lot of Torah knowledge, but the parts of the Torah that instill fear of God in you is the Musar. So it could be that part of the greatness of Rav Chaim was that his illustrious father was uh, not only brought him to be a great Torah scholar, but Rav Chaim had a unparalleled fear of heaven. The um, so now we'll get into some amazing stories. Uh, as everybody knows, thank God uh, they should be alive and well. I had five daughters, but the first mitzvah of the Torah is that uh, one should also at least have one boy and one girl. And I wanted to really do that mitzvah. There's a gentleman that I always buy a lot of my uh, holy books from, my svarim from. He said, you should know your friend, Rabbi Yaakovi, Moshe Yaakovi. He said he also had three daughters. He was looking for a son. He went to Rav Chaim. Rav Chaim told him to say, there's a Gemara in Shavuot. Rav Chaim was greater than a computer, by the way. Because they asked actually Rav Chaim, how many times is the name of Moshe written in the Torah? So he said like 800... 52. So they said, what are you talking about? The, the computer said 854. He said, the computer is wrong. They said, because Moshe is Mem Shin Vav. Two times in the Torah, it says Miseh. When you bring the Pesach offering, it's a, it's a young lamb. So by mistake, the computer thought Miseh is Moshe. And then another time, it says Misat Nadecha. It's, a, it's the name Mem Shin. I mean, that's his, like, Einstein type of genius, the lack of a better person to compare him to, that the, you know, 
he, his mind was like a, even greater than a computer, that the computer had made a mistake. Two of the times that he thought the name Moshe appeared was not actually Moshe. So, um, there's a Gemara in Ketu, there's a Gemara in Shavuot. It says, whoever says Havdalah, not on this, but on, on wine, is gonna have, uh, boys. Whoever does Havdalah on wine, will have uh, boys. So he said that my friend, Rabbi Yaakov, I gone to Rav Chaim, Rav Chaim said, make, what do you make Havdalah on? Grape juice. So he said, make it on wine. He hit the table and he said, you have a boy. And lo and behold, one year later he had a boy. So I said, I'm not going to, I have to hear it from him himself. I have to hear it from the prophet. You know? Uh, so I booked my ticket within a few months. And lo and behold, I was in his presence. And that's exactly what he told me. He said, he said, halachically, Passover is going to be very soon, in three weeks. He said, halachically, you're allowed, you know how you have to have four cups of uh, wine on the night of Passover? He said for Shabbat, Kiddush, and after Shabbat, Havdalah, and the four cups, which are the main times that we're obligated to have wine on Jewish, you know, religion, you're allowed to have grape juice. It's kosher. But if you want to get this secret to success, what the Talmud says, you have to only use what? Uh, wine. Like our dear Kohanim that make wine. So it says you have to use, you can't, it has to be alcoholic. So lo and behold, thank God, within a year later, I also had a boy. So uh, the little prince of our family, I named him his name after Yaakov Chaim. Chaim was named after... Uh, Rav Chaim. Now, I wanted to say something here that was very unique about Rav Chaim that I really appreciated. Because he didn't believe that people should get blessings on a golden platter. He was definitely, there's no question, and it makes me cry inside, that he was somebody, you know what the, the Zohar and the Gemara says. He says, when we, when a great soul, a unique soul like that, passes away, in the heavens, they make a party. Because they, they, now they say, wow, such a holy soul is coming to where it belongs. But for us, it's a terrible loss because we, we've lost that GPS, that person that cares about us and gives us the most clearest prophetic type of advice that I got personally from him. But Rav Chaim was very interesting that and I'm going to tell you a very interesting story that nobody knows. This was only um very interesting story with Rav Chaim. And it teaches you that if you go to a Sadiq, you should listen to him. Rav Chaim was the type of rabbi that if he would give a blessing, he would give you homework also. Rav Chaim was very famous. There's a whole book about this. That let's say somebody had a kidney problem, kidney cancer, So many times, he would tell people to learn the part of the Torah. All of the Torah was to him like... Literally tens of thousands of books. He, based on his writings, by the way, him directly or his students that wrote stuff that they learned from him, he wrote a hundred books based on his. And stuff that nobody else writes on, like Paraduma. The laws of, if Mashiach would have come, what's the laws of Paraduma? There's an amazing story. I'm going to end off with grasshoppers about, he wrote a book about, you know, because grasshoppers, some of them are kosher, some of them are not. But Rav Chaim was very interesting that Rav Chaim, very much 
when he would give you a blessing like he gave to me, he said he wanted you to do a specific mitzvah that the blessing would, you know, it wasn't just in the in the air that you get it on a golden platter. He wanted, it, the blessing was embedded with homework, you know, for you to have a type of uh, self-improvement. Like just uh, one of our congregants, Matthew Saidian, which I wish was he, we were learning, he said, he went to Rav Chaim, I sent him, him and his father to Rav Chaim. Rav Chaim randomly told him, you should know, always get your haircuts before Shabbat. And he told me, he said, how did he see that? My entire life I would get my haircuts on Sunday. But he told me, he saw in his soul that, you know, we always do the best in honor of what? The Shabbat queen. So he said, he, he was just dumbfounded how Rav Chaim knew that his entire life he always would get his haircuts on Sunday. He said that from now on he would get it either on Thursday and Friday that he should go into Shabbat like royalty. You know, he would see stuff in your soul that was very interesting. Now, if anybody has seen in the last four years, um, Ellie, can you get my hat? I keep the brim of my hat up. Because uh, four years ago when I went to Rav Chaim, we had a very good encounter. Thank God at that time, he was, uh, you know, when I wear my hat for the last four years, I wear it like this. Usually, you know, your, your brim is down, but last uh, four years, I, I, I keep my brim up. Now that has a story behind it. Two stories, actually. Uh, I wanted to go to Rav Chaim to thank him, you know, I was able to take my son to Israel for the first time. So we went to Rav Chaim. I said, Rav Chaim, he's named after you, my son. And he got very excited. He was very happy. He was smiling. He, he gave him seven buahs. He said, buah, 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 buah. So, and then he said that, you know, from now on, he put his hand, his holy hand on my hat, and he put up the brim. He said, I want your hand, your brim to always be up. Now his son says that, when you put it down, it's like fancy people put it down. Rav Chaim was somebody that money meant zero to him. So he said that in order not to look fancy, so personally that's what he told me. He put his holy hands on my head and he put it up. But all of my colleagues put their brim down. Now why did I dis- decide to listen to him? Because it happens to be the day before I was in my brother-in-law's house, Rabbi Eli, and I read a story about Rav Chaim. Now, what was the story? Very interesting story. It said 70 years ago, there was a young man that wanted to go into the Harvard of all the Bnei Brak yeshivas. It's called Panovich. The Panovich yeshiva, and he got, the guy got denied. The, Rav Chaim used to learn with a certain young boy. He was a neighbor and friend of Rav Chaim. Rav Chaim sent him to go get accepted to the best yeshiva in town. The Panovich Yeshiva, this boy unfortunately got rejected. So the boy came heartbroken back to Rav Chaim. And he said, Rav Chaim, how could this be? I got rejected, they didn't allow me to the Yeshiva. I don't know, 60, 70, a long time ago. So the the Panovich, uh, the Rav Chaim was, even in his youth, when he was in his 30s and 40s, he was the nephew. I mean, he was a big shot. I mean, he was not... Somebody, he, first of all, already in his 30s, he knew the entire Torah. All Shas, Babli, Yerushalmi, everything cold. And also his uncle was the Chazonish, and his father was also very, the biggest, you know, rabbi in, in Bnei Brak. He said, I'll go talk to the founder of that yeshiva, the Panovich Rav, Rav Yosef Kahaneman. By the way, if anybody knows Shweki's song, 
Rav Yosef Kahnem was the one that used to say Shema and get the kids out of the orphanages in Europe and bring them back to the way of the Torah. I don't know if you know the story behind that. We could do that at a different date. So the Panevich said, you know what? I'm an administrator of the yeshiva. I'm not the dean of the students. To, to, I don't give an exam. I don't give the entrance exam. But if, since you, Rav Chaim, said it, I'm going to talk to the administration, the people that give the entrance exam, why they rejected this boy. So they come to a meeting, to the round table, and Rav Chaim tells a very interesting, uh, the Panevich Rav, Rav Yosef Chaim Kahneman, Rav Yosef Kahneman tells the, the, the board, the, uh, administration of the school, he says, you should know, there was a boy, so-and-so, he came here to get accepted, he was rejected. But the Torah told me that we should accept this boy. And it's not appropriate that we shouldn't listen to the Torah. We're yeshiva, how could we not listen to the Torah? So everybody at the table that, the, at, that was the administration that would admit the students said, what do you mean the Torah told you that we should accept this story? So the Panevich Rav said, you should know, Rav Chaim Kanyanevsky is a living Torah, Right? And if we don't listen to him, it's like we, we didn't listen to the word of the Torah. So I, I put two and two together. I said, if Rav Chaim told me to put my brim up, it's like the Torah is telling me. So I, you know, even if that not, not be popular, other people put it down. I, it may be the right thing to, to, to listen to the Torah. Now here's two crazy stories with Rav Chaim that, uh, are, are really scary stories that personally happened with me. I was involved. What happened was we have a Kohen in our synagogue at the time. He was 48 years old. And he has a very special soul. One of my biggest desires in life was for him to get married. We need more Kohanim. Maybe, you know, I should get some Levine. We have no Levine. But uh, it, it would have definitely helped. So we went to Rav Chaim. And I told him, listen, Rav Chaim... I'd already been with Rav Chaim two, three times and I'd seen his style. He gives you homework, right? He just doesn't give you a random blessing and then you stay the same uh, miniature person you are. He wants you, his blessings have... So I told him, listen, the whole taxi ride from Jerusalem to Bnei Brak, which is a suburb of Tel Aviv, not to get mixed though, one of them is Gan Eden, one of them is Gehino. The, 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 I told him, listen, if we go to Rav Chaim, Put your GQ Playboy style away. You have to listen to Rav Chaim. <laughs> so he said, he was arguing with me. Should I listen? Well, okay, we got to Rav Chaim. Rav Chaim actually, usually Rav Chaim talks to you for two seconds, right? Because hundreds of people come to him, sometimes 500 people a day. He tells you, Bua, bye-bye, Charlie. This guy he liked. I said, Rav Chaim, this guy's a Koyin. He has a very good neshama. He's not married. Rav Chaim all of a sudden like said, okay, we're, gonna, we're not going to go on fast track here. He said, first of all, where's your beard? He said, a coin without a beard is like somebody that has a blemish. I, he said, you have to put a beard. Then he said that short sleeves, short sleeves is too sexy. So is, men also need to be modest. He says, from now on, you need to wear long sleeves. Now this poor guy, listen, every time he goes to the gym, he tells me he's <laughs> even on the treadmill. And he said, if you do this, you're going to get married. Okay. We went on the taxi ride back. The gentleman did not want to listen to Rav Chaim. He said, first of all, Rabbi, I'm almost 50 years old. If I put a beard, my beard looks white. 
Nobody's going to marry me. I told him, listen, you need to listen to Rav Chaim. What was the point of us going to him? I slept you almost 10,000 miles from LA to go to him. This was the whole point of the trip. He said, no, the long sleeves I'm going to put, I'm not going to look uh, rep- uh, presentable to the girls. I don't want to do it. Anyways, finally, we got to our hotel in Jerusalem, the Old Court, or old court Hotel. And we made up that it was towards the end of our trip, our 10-day trip to Israel. We said, it was actually Elul. It was the uh, very auspicious time. We said, let's go do Selichot and pray nets at the Kotel. What can be better than that right before the high holidays? So lo and behold, we went to sleep very early, 9 o'clock. Fine. My cousin was also with me, Sean. Uh, he could attest to this story. We, we were at the, actually, the hotel was so close to the old city that we could have walked. It was a 15-minute walk. We said, let's just walk. It was, it's fun, you know. We keep on knocking. So what does he tell me? He tells me, Rabbi, I want to shave, then we'll go to the hotel. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Hour later, he doesn't come out of the bathroom. He hasn't come out. We freaked out because we. I told him, listen, this is a very important thing, auspicious, special thing. I, I said, at least we missed Selichot. Let's go pray with Nets, with Sunrise. We called security. They opened. I said, I'm afraid this guy died. I mean, he had pro- No, he was. He's a very. He's a very serious guy. Like if he says something, he does it. He says, Rabbi, you don't know what happened. The second I put the shaver in the bathroom to my thing, I got vertigo. And we had already been in Israel for a week, so he had not experienced, he said, I, I was, a, my head was about to hit the, the marble, you know, thing. And he said, the whole day I had a taste of bitterness in my mouth. Like when I was eating breakfast, he said, no, 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 I'm putting the beard. He told me that, you know, from, from now on, I'm gonna put the beard, I wanna, he said, I don't wanna die. I said, he was afraid, cause, you know, uh, God forbid my, I have a family member that passed away that way. She had a, uh, a, a minor. And, and you know, guess what? The next day we wanted, we went on a tour to the Rashbi. A girl from New York fell in love with him and wanted to marry him. So, Rav Chaim's brachas, I mean, what's the moral of this story is twofold. That either if you go to the Sadiq, and especially the Sadiq of Sadiqs, right? The king of Sadiqs, you better be prepared um, to step up to the plate. Uh, to this day, he still has a beard, and to this day, he always goes with long sleeves. Even though he may have his beard very short, but he says, I always wanna, wanna keep the rim. I, this part I didn't remember. He just, I told him we were crying together about Rav Chaim. He said, Oh my God, if I would have gone to Rav Chaim again, he would have given me more homework. I was scared of it. But he said, yeah, he said, Rabbi, I don't know if I remember it, but the, the whole day I had this like bitter, weird taste that I never experienced in my life, in my mouth. It, it was like something surreal. It shows you that if you go to the side, you better listen. Did you marry the rabbi? Uh, no, I, I'll tell you that later, privately. <laughs> we, we want to keep it as a good story. So, the, the, the another, the another amazing story that I, I had, uh, I tried actually anybody that I uh, was open to it, I really tried to send them to Rav Chaim. There was another family in our synagogue that uh, unfortunately did not have children. So they went to Rav Chaim, Rav Chaim said, check your mezuzahs. 
The gentleman had just checked his mezuzahs a month ago. So he came back in line, right? He, Rav Chaim told him, check your mezuzahs, Bua. He came back in line. Rav Chaim told him the second time that uh, with the permission of the Gabbai, of course, he said, you know, it's a big omen. It's a big segula. If you do the mitzvah of Shiluach HaKen, you know what the Shiluach HaKen is? If you, if you see a bird nest and you throw, it's a kosher bird, you shoo away the mother and take the birds or the chicks or the eggs, you get a long life. According to the Zohar, it, may, it says take the children. It means that God is going to give you children. He said you should do this mitzvah. Guess what? The night they got back to Israel, from Israel to their home in LA, there was a bird nest on their balcony. With chicks in it and, you know, small eggs. But this story doesn't have such a good ending, unfortunately. They were lazy. Instead of doing the mitzvah right away, they made a chametz. You know, that's the whole thing. Matzah means you have to be alikriti. You have to do stuff. Don't put it on the back burner. Like all you guys should have been married already at 18, 22. Don't put any mitzvah on the back burner because it's never going to... Guess what? A Santa Ana windstorm came and they never... And the bird nest got... How long were they waiting? What? How long were they waiting before they... No, they were jet lagged and they said, let's unpack, we'll do it tomorrow morning. They got like to to, to LA in the afternoon. Oh, okay. That night there was Santa Ana winds. It brushed up the thing. So he said... He said he had been living in that apartment 15 years. There was never a bird nest on his balcony. What happened? Rav Chaim was definitely the type of person. There's, I, w- I wouldn't hesitate to say there's thousands of stories, maybe even tens of thousands of stories where there's a concept that Sadiq Gozer HaKadosh Baruch Mekayim, which means the Sadiq. Hashem, certain Sadiqim are so beloved that they're kind of like a partner of God. They're like a son. A father usually doesn't reject what his sons wants. And that was just, you know, something unbelievable. There's actually another person in our congregation that amazing story with him. His daughter, as a young girl, like six, seven years old, started randomly got this sickness that all her hair was falling out. And that's really sad for a little girl. She could get bullied. And, and you know, he went to Rav Chaim. Rav Chaim said that, uh, I don't know, the Mesechet Negayim, one of these Mishnayot in the Talmud, he said, if you learn this, you'll get better. Guess what? The day he finished learning that entire tractate, her hair started growing back. So it was just, there's, there's countless stories like this that, um, Rav Chaim, for example, in four years ago, I also had a tremendous uh, problem. We had a lawsuit. Again, Rav Chaim told my son when he gave him the seven buas, he said, your son should grow payas and everything will be okay. So it was a fascinating thing with Rav Chaim that, um, you know, and Baruch Hashem, that lawsuit, uh, I'm sure ended up the best way possible for us. But it was a fascinating thing with Rav Chaim that, um, now part of Rav Chaim that a lot of people don't understand is this. Rav Chaim my Rosh Hashiva, Rav Aaron Feldman, the Rosh Hashiva of Neri Soil, uh, said that he was Chavrusas with him. He had learned, because uh, my Rosh Hashiva actually, Baruch Hashem, he's a very healthy guy. He walks an hour a day, like he walks a lot. He's 91, and he's very fit. Shlita, Bili Ein He said that Rav Chaim actually used to make always a lot of jokes. 
but jokes based in Talmudic law, like riddles. And he said he was always a person that had a lot of happiness, you know. He wasn't one of these dry, you know, dry bone people. But the only thing that he was obsessed with was Torah, Torah, and more Torah. And I'm going to tell you something that uh, I, I didn't write in the notes here, but it would be terrible, terrible thing for, for me to forget to, 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 to say it. Because, oh, actually I do have it here. Let me just, once we're on the uh, topic of Rosh Hashiva, the founding Rosh Hashiva of my Yeshiva, Neri Israel, Neri Israel, Rav Ruderman, Rav Yaakov Yitzhak Ruderman, had an amazing story. Actually, my Rebbe from the Yeshiva Samir just said this to 10,000 people, to his students, Rav Nisan Kaplan. Rav Ruderman went uh, almost 60-some years ago to Israel for the biggest international Knesset HaGedola where all the biggest rabbis of the world were coming. And after he came back to Yeshiva Lane, and Rav Feldman also, which was a student of Rav Ruderman, right? The current Rosh Hashiva was a student, obviously, of the founding Rosh Hashiva. Rav Feldman and the other students asked him, Rosh Hashiva, this was like the first time you were in Israel. What was the highlight of your trip? And guess what he said? He said a fascinating thing. He said that the highlight of my trip is, a trip is that you know the Ashkenazi Torahs, they have like a, a jacket on top of them. Like they're not like this, they don't have a case, right? They have a mantle. So he said, the highlight of my trip was that I was able to put a new mantle, a new covering, the Ashkenazi version of a case on the Sefer Torah. So all his yeshiva students in Baltimore said, Rosh Hashiva, you went saw Yerushalayim, you saw Rav you saw, you went to, you, 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 you did a grand tour of all of Israel. You could have even done that here, right? In Baltimore, you could have bought a new Torah or, you know, the cloth is only 50 bucks. It's not very expensive. It's like a hundred dollar thing. You put it on it, right? It's not like the Sephardic cases that cost $5,000, right? So he said, what's the big deal? Your highlight of your trip? He said, no. I saw an Avrich, a person studying Kolo, that was only 33 years old. His name was Chaim Kanyanevsky. When I talked to Rav Ruderman, by the way, also had an encyclopedia of mine. I stayed, my parents stayed in his house during my wedding, because we used to host his daughter when she used to come to LA. So she got, she promised us that when I got married in Baltimore, she wanted to return the favor. So Rav Ruderman literally had a library of like 10,000 books. And he knew all of them also. So Rav Ruderman talked to him for two hours to Rav Chaim, 60 years ago. He said, I couldn't, can't believe such a young person knows so much Torah. But then he looked at his coat, his coat was ripped. So then they got into a whole argument. He said, let me, give me the zechut, give me the merit that I buy you a new coat. Rav Chaim said, no, sonem King Solomon says, whoever refuses gifts is going to live. You never should get look for something free. Rosh Hashiva told him, he won the argument. You know what he told Rav Chaim? He said, Rav Chaim, if there was a Torah that had a ripped mantle, a ripped covering on it, would you, would, wouldn't you go ahead and buy it a new one? He said, yes. He says, you're a living Sefer Torah. How could I observe you with the ripped clothing, ripped, ripped, you know, overcoat? So he agreed. 
So Rav Ruderman, when he came back to Baltimore, he had tur- toured all of Israel, right? He said, the highlight of my trip was what? That I was able to buy Rav Chaim. And this is the reason why we really should cry. I mean, I did rip my clothing. You should know there's a halacha. When a God Olador, like Rav Ovadia, Rav Chaim, on the left side, just like when my father passed away, we rip our clothing and we say the brach of Dayana Emet, because your spiritual father is these rabbis. I mean, I mean, I owe him a lot. The, the, uh, the, the great thing with Rav, uh, Rav Chaim was that the great Rosh Hashiva of the Cleveland Rosh Hashiva, of Tells, Rav Gifter, said that Rav Chaim, even if he lived in the time of the Gra, of the Goyim, the Goyim would have acknowledged his greatness. He would have respected him for a Torah scholarship. So this is going even back. They say that Rav Chaim was on a level, my Rosh Hashiva just said this in his eulogy So Rav Chaim was on a level of the Gedolim of a hundred years ago. The greatness that we saw a hundred years ago, God gave us this treasure of somebody that was like the Rugger Chopper Goyim. He was like, to say it in the best way for a Sephardi, he was like the uh, Ashkenazi version of Rav Avadia. It was just unbelievable. That based on, he, he either wrote directly, or based on his teaching, a hundred books, that's a lot of stuff, were written. So, this brings me towards the end of what we wanted to discuss about Rav Chaim. And that is that uh, my own brother wanted to get married. My own brother wanted to get married... And uh, there's an interesting halacha. The girl that he wanted to date had the same name as him. Her father, Daniel. There's a Sefer Hasidim that says that it's not a good omen. It's not good that uh, our rabbi, which was a student and friend of Rav Chaim, Harav Eliezer ben David, which came here many times. I don't know if you guys remember him. Rabbi Ben David was the student of the Panovich Yeshiva and he used to ask all his questions to Rav Chaim. So he wasn't sure. He said, really Sephardic are not, it's not their custom to follow. But the the girl was, uh, the person my brother Daniel wanted to to, to date was a a granddaughter of of Rabbi Ben David and Rabbi Ben David was worried that since the Sefer Hasidim says that one should not marry a girl that the, her father and the son-in-law would have the same name. They asked Rav Chaim and Rav Chaim said, no, I don't, I don't, he vetoed the idea. He said they shouldn't go out if they have the same name. So it was just, it was amazing thing that the greatest rabbis of the generation, when they didn't know what to do, that's who they used to turn to. And we'll just end with a amazing, amazing story. The, uh, one of the very interesting uh, books that Rav Chaim Kanyanevsky wrote was a uh, book, parenthetically, he has, I didn't know this exactly, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of myself, I didn't know Rav Chaim had a whole series of books on the Rambam. The Rambam, the first part of the Rambam that deals with all the laws of agriculture, Zerayim, Rav Chaim has a book like the Mishnah Brura on it. Like for example, my brother-in-law, Right now is the year where Baruch Hashanah was just in Israel three weeks ago. Many farmers are not working. There's big signs, billboards, that it says, we keep Shevi'it, we keep the sabbatical. And then God in the Torah writes, 
that just like Shabbat, six years, six days we work, the seventh day is free, we don't work. Same thing in the land of Israel, six years we do agriculture, the seventh year. So Rav Chaim is one of the only people that had the expertise to go write a Mishnah Burah, a halachic thing on this. And he's one of the number one authorities. The specialness of Rav Chaim was that he would go where no other rabbi went, right? Who writes a safe on the Paraduma? The halakhic, like, like a Yakut Yosef, like a practical thing. If the Paraduma happens, this is what you practically need to do. So Rav Chaim was writing a book on the, the Kashrut of grasshoppers. So he told his students that were his editors and helping him write the book, he said, I don't know. I've never seen a grasshopper. Guess what happened? A grasshopper came, smashed up against his window. He observed the, the grasshopper to see if it's a kosher one or not, or where, and where its antennas was. He did not have Google or Wikipedia. This was 30, 40 years ago. He said the second he was finished, he was able to write his book, continue based on the observation of practically seeing what the grasshopper looked like. He went ahead. Now there was a dozen people in the room, so it's not like... He says a few hours later, he was continuing to write the halachas of grasshoppers. Again, he had another question. Guess what? Within a few minutes, another grasshopper randomly smashed up against his window of his door. This is what my Rosh Hashiva Shlita Rav Feldman said. He said, Rav Chaim was the type of sadik that it says there's certain sadikim that are like ministering angels. They're on such a high level where when they say something, it's very seldom God doesn't listen, you know? It's, and that's just a mind-boggling thing. How could it be such a thing that, that, you know, grass, the second he wanted to, to write the book and he needed to see a grasshopper twice, a grasshopper just came in front of him so he would able to, to, to write the book. And you know, there's countless stories of like, Elijah knows this, that there was, for example, in our yeshiva, if anybody's been to Baltimore, Elliot, been there many times, there's a part where the faculty leaves, yeshiva lane. So there was a, a young kolo couple that were heartbroken. They went to John Hopkins, where you work, and they got a, they got an ultrasound, the doctor said this child has a very bad disease. You guys are going to have to move to Boston because Boston Children's Hospital is supposed to be one of the best Philadelphia and Boston's. And you're going to have to do like a, once the child is born, you're going to have to do a, a, a surgery there and, and this and that. And there was a lot of, like they would have to the mother would have to take certain medications. It was like a whole thing. They had to change their whole life. Move from Baltimore to Boston to do like a premature birth. And then he said immediately they would have to do this because uh, the child had some defect according to the ultrasound. So they went to Rav Chaim. And Rav Chaim said there's no problem with this baby. There, there's no problem. You don't need to move to Boston. There's nothing. And... Um, Rav Feldman, which had sent them to, to, to Rav Chaim, said, we don't know what to do. We went, they went back to the doctor a second time. The doctor said the same problem still looks, it's evident on the, uh, on the ultrasound. You need to do this procedure when the kid is born. And 
We don't do it here in Hopkins. We do it, they do it in the Children's Hospital in Boston. So again, they asked Rosh Hashiva, he said, he said, if I was you, don't worry about it. Just listen to Rav Chaim. You'll be okay. And, you know, they were, they had Emunat Chachamim. The child was born, he's alive and well. Walking, it's like, he's like, I don't know, 10, 15 years old, the boy. And, you know, there was, the, the doctors were wrong. The doctors, when the child was born, the doctors in Hopkins didn't know. He said, how could it be such a thing? We saw, we analyzed this ultrasound and these x-rays hundred different times, hundred different ways. But that's the, there's this concept where somebody that's on that high level, that uh, it's a tremendous loss, but there's hope. They say when the Sadiq passes away, he lives, he leaves his potential in this world. So let's say Rav Chaim didn't waste a second, or Rav Chaim, any bracha he said. See, Rav Chaim, since he didn't waste a second or say word of Lashonara, he didn't have time to say Lashonara, right? Because he was so infatuated and obsessed with Torah. When the Sadiq leaves, he leaves his potential. So any one of us could grab, even if we grab a nugget to be like such a person that doesn't waste his time, that is so pure, that is so devoted to Torah, um, the opportunity is there. May now that it's just heartbreaking. Now the next time I go to Israel, there's going to be a big void in my heart. Because always, even if I had to not do anything else, I would always um, make my top priority to see who? Rav Chaim. It was... It was, it was a, it's a, it's a sad thing that we're missing him. But, um, now that he's an angel, one of the ministering angels up there with God, he should pray that we need Mashiach and that, uh, hopefully we could follow a little bit in his path. And I'm sure that if we follow that way, parenthetically, Rav Chaim's name is Mashiach. You know that. Mem Moreno, our master, his full name is Yosef Chaim Shemaryahu. So, Mem, Yud, Shin, Chet. So it could be he was a potential Mashiach for a generation. That's the acronym of his name. We missed out on that. But whether he was or wasn't, for many people, his blessings and his sage advice was a messianic type of thing. The thing that we could do is follow in his ways. And may Hashem, in that merit, bring Mashiach Sitkenu, Bimher Rabbi Amen